You're listening to Titans Time, the tailor-made podcast for all Tennessee Titans fans. Before we get started, I want to remind you that you can find us on Twitter at Titans underscore time, Instagram, Titans time podcast. You can find our YouTube channel, which is also Titans time podcast and our website, Titans time podcast.com. If you'd like to read articles about the NFL and specifically about the Tennessee Titans, it's a great place to go for content. Also want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it and also leave us a five star rating. Tyler had an amazing interview with former Tennessee Titans wide receiver Chris Sanders. He was a part of the Titans team when they went to the Super Bowl in the 1999 and 2000 season. I think that you guys are really, really going to enjoy the interview. So let's get straight into it. Welcome back to the Titans Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Staggs. And we have a very special guest today, a former NFL wide receiver with the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Titans organization. He was a part of the Titans team in 1999 and 2000 when they played in Super Bowl 34 while in college at the Ohio State University. He broke Jesse Owens' long jump record, Chris Sanders. Chris, how you doing today? Superman, how you doing? I appreciate that uh, introduction. I give you about five or six dollars, man. Um, yeah, we're curious, uh, because me and my brother both looked and I don't know if we were just overlooking it. What was that? Uh, what was the long jump that you had that broke Jesse Owens record? Uh, it actually was in 1992 indoors. It was a 26, nine and three fourths. 26, nine. Man, yeah, that... it's, still, it's still holding on. The record's still there indoors. So it was one of those records that I always remember. Um, you know, just looking at the legacy of Jesse Owens, that Jesse Owens was a man who overcame adversity in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And to, to have the opportunity to break his record and have the opportunity to be a part of a legacy like that, I mean, it really, really makes a difference. Oh, yeah. And, man, I mean, that's a long way. Like, I can't even <laughs> – I can't imagine jumping that far, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, now – in your rookie season, mm-hmm. you know, I went back and watched some of those highlights, and man, you were you were a big play waiting to happen. I, I think you had that. you had nine touchdowns in your rookie yeah, season. I had nine touchdowns in my rookie season, and you averaged twenty three and a half yards per <laughs> yeah. reception. I mean, yeah. you know that that's just crazy to me. Um, do you think you know also being a track star, you know that when you got to the league and everything, did you feel like you were just faster than everyone else on the field? Um, you know, track track helped me out a lot. But I think coming in as a rookie, I just had a, I just had an edge around myself. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to make plays. And I wanted to show this organization that you drafted me third round, you, was, you, you were going to get a great player, but a great kid. And uh, when I came in as a rookie, we had a lot of receivers. And I was like on the – like fourth on the depth chart. And mm-hmm. I was hungry to play. You know, before the season, you know, nobody expected me to do anything. I get drafted. They said, okay, maybe he'll play special teams. So I started to create an edge. And when I created an edge, I was like, wherever the ball's at, I'm going to catch it. If it's in the, in, in, in the stands, I'm going to catch it. If it's at the concession stand, I'm going to get it. If it's on the <laughs> other side, I'm going to catch it. Because I had just wanted to be the best and make plays. And, you know, one of the games I've always remember is we were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's on ESPN. So I wanted all my friends to see me back, you know, in Denver, Colorado. So it's fourth and – I think it's fourth and 15, fourth and 13. 
and I run a post a post route against Dale Carter, and I jump over five guys to catch the ball. And 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 Joe Theismann was actually doing um, doing the commentating, and he said this. He said Chris Sanders is a guy who wants to attack the ball, mm-hmm. and that's how I did as as a receiver. I wherever the ball was, I wanted to attack the ball and catch the ball in every place it was. Oh yeah, I mean. I think I remember seeing that, uh, you know, highlight mm-hmm. and, you know, the highlights I watched. And whenever I seen it, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> you know, he he just went up over them and, you know, made sure that he got that ball. And, you know, even some of the other highlights, you know, it would look like there would be nothing there. And, <laughs> you know, when you were – after you caught the ball running, I'm like, all right, they got this on here for a reason. What's he fixing to do? And, you know, you would just be making people miss left and right and taking it for a touchdown. I mean, it's just that, you know, I had fun. I mean, you know, when we grew up playing, when I grew up playing football as a third grader and a fourth and a fifth grader, I just love playing the game. I love mm-hmm. making making big plays, and I visualize myself playing the NFL. And uh, just to kind of give you a story, I remember when I was about four or five years old, I had this, um, they had this sock that I would visualize catching you know, a touchdown in a game. And in 1995, we were playing the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And the same way I was holding my hand catching that sock was the same way I was holding my hand to catch my first touchdown against the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was, it was just one of those moments that you'll never forget. And I actually have it in my office that I, that, that I work at. I work at Montgomery Good Academy. And that first touchdown I had, my, where I had my hand like this, I'll never forget because that was my dream come true. Man, that you know, that's awesome. Getting some Titans memorabilia at a discounted price from a trusted site is a win-win, right? Well, make it a win-win-win by going to titanstimepodcast.com slash fanatics and shopping through our fanatics links to help out the podcast while you purchase your next favorite Titans jersey. That is titanstimepodcast.com slash fanatics. We've had uh, a couple other guys on and, you know, they talked about how, you know, playing football when they were younger and then actually getting to the league and everything you know, I'm sure it's just a surreal moment. Uh, and, you know, you talking about having, you know, that edge and, you know, because you were a third-round pick, people mm-hmm. didn't really expect much from you. Right. Uh, and then going back to your rookie season when you average, you know, 23 and a half yards per reception, do you still keep up with the Titans now? And if so, I want to get your thoughts on – the the current wideouts on the team, especially like AJ Brown, who yeah. you know in his rookie season he was averaging over twenty yards per reception, and oh, you know, oh, you know I was watching. Want, <laughs> oh yeah, I was, you know I was watching. You know the one thing I didn't want him to break, and I'm glad he's a great player. But he had eight touchdowns, I had nine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I love you, but I don't want to get it. But let me tell you, AJ Brown is. Uh, two players in one. When I say two players in one, is he's a, he's a wide receiver and he's a running back. Because when he catches the ball, he's making yak yards after catch, and he's trying to make plays. He makes the simple plays into great plays. I mean, if we look at the game when they played against the Atlanta Falcons, he caught a slant and he made four or five guys miss. And next, you know, he has a forty-six set, forty-seven yard touchdown. He's mm-hmm. an explosive player. He's big. He's physical. Yeah, he's got some work to do with the line of scrimmage and getting off the press. But I'm telling you, this kid can be special. And the reason why he can be special is this guy is going to come and he's going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at look at when he came in and how he just – he uh, he gained respect from his players, offensive line, Lewan. Taylor Lewan loves this kid. I mean, you got mm-hmm. a rookie that comes in and you gain respect from uh, Taylor Lewan. It just shows you that this guy came in with an edge 
he came in with uh, a, a sense of, I want to come in and play. I don't want to sit here. I know I'm a second round, and they got Corey Davis and other guys that can make plays. But I want to come in here and contribute and be a team player and make plays. And you just show the capability of this guy. Look at the play that he made against the Raiders. The, what I think it was 90-something yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. Then we get it. Then, then we, he plays a couple of weeks later. He plays in the Indianapolis Colts, and he makes a circus catch on the sidelines. It just shows you that this guy has great potential to be a number one wide receiver. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, coming into his rookie year, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect yeah, because, yeah. you know, everyone has kind of been down on Corey Davis uh, because he yeah. hasn't, for a top five pick, hasn't really panned out to what yeah. I guess everyone expected him to be. And then now, you know, A.J. Brown's come in as a second-round pick. And, yeah, I've said it on our podcast before. I see him as our number one receiver. And, you know, that might help Corey Davis out this next year because, you know, the pressure of being that number one is off of him and he can just go out and be a good number two. So See, that that's why I believe Corey, Corey Davis is going to have a spectacular year. I mean, he, he's still got a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. And to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, I mean, when he first came in, you know, he had he, he hurt his hamstring and cap, so he's hamstring or his ankle, and he was kind of set back for a little bit he hasn't had a chance to really be in camp coming in healthy. Mm-hmm. Now the situation this year, he's on the PUP list. So now he's on the, the eight, he's behind the eight ball again. Mm-hmm. But I think he's, he's going to have a great season. And the reason why I say he's going to have a great season is because everybody's saying he can't do it. Everybody's saying he's a number two receiver. Everybody's saying that he's washed up. That's when it's your time to shine. Look at the situation with, with Henry a couple of years ago. Everybody mm-hmm. said that Henry was running too soft. Everybody said he wasn't hitting the hole, that he was dancing too much. And all of a sudden you have a, a guy named Eddie George talking to him and say, listen, you need to get an edge. You need to start running with power. And all of a sudden now, a couple of years later, he wins a rushing title. Why is that? It's because he started to get an edge and say, you know what? I don't care if you tackle me. You're going to try to tackle me. You're going to get a stiff arm in your face, and I'm going to run through your face. And that's the attitude that Corey Davis is going to have. You say I can't do it. You say I can't run around. You said I can't be a number, uh, a number one wide receiver. You say all this stuff. You don't think this guy's – creating the edge to show everybody that he can be a number one wide receiver because he's the number the number five pick in the draft. He's got a lot to prove. Oh, yeah, and I completely agree. I I think he's going to come out and have a big oh, year this year, especially if I he can agree. if he can get healthy. There's – I just see him coming out and showing out this year. What's that? I just see him showing out this year uh, if, if he can get healthy. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Eddie George, you know, giving Derrick Henry that advice, telling him, you know, hey, man, you're running too soft. You need to – you know, you're a big guy. You know, I want to go back to that 99 and 2000 season Mm -hmm. and just see, you know, if you have any stories. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were so many great moments in that playoff run to lead y'all to going to the Super Bowl from the Music City Miracle, and then obviously, you know, in the Super Bowl, coming up a yard short. And, I mean, I know as a Titans fan, that's one thing that's always stuck with me. But, you know, do you have some stories, like maybe from the locker room when you're making that run, how everyone was feeling? I think uh, it started with the first game. You know, we played Cincinnati. And all those years before that, we were 8-8, 9-7, and we couldn't get over that hump. And then that first Cincinnati game, we were down. I think we need a minute and a half to come back and win. And I think Kevin Dyson makes the way to touchdown. 
and we finally understood how to win. And mm-hmm. once we got over that hump, we just went on a rampage to start beating everybody. And we had a core of leaders. We had Joe Battle. We had Blaine Bishop. We had Marcus Robinson. We had that core of leaders. And then we just started adding a couple of guys like Samari Rowe, Javon Curse, those guys that just added more fuel to the fire. And once we got those guys that had energy, that had passion, and all of a sudden the defense that was always been in the top ten in, in the league, now all of a sudden they're going to be the, the top defenses of the top five defenses in the league. So it just shows you that when you start adding those pieces and playing with fire, you know, and, and come together as a family, you can do some great things. Anybody can have, everybody can have a lot of talent. Everybody can have the best quarterback. Everybody can have the best running back. Everybody can have the best lineman. Everybody can have the best running back. But if you don't come together as a family, it's not going to work. And that's exactly what we had in 1999. We had some great wide receivers. We had Yancey Thicke, Kevin Dyson. We had a great running back, Eddie George. We had a great offensive line, Bruce Matthews, uh, Brad Hopkins, all those guys. But the reason why we, 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 we were winning that year is because we came together as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I see, you know, with the playoff run that the Titans yeah. had this past year, you know, there's been a couple times on here where I've kind of compared it to that run in 99 because going back to week six, whenever uh, the quarterback change was made, it seemed like that, you know, sparked something in the team. And after that, they came together and found their identity and were just able to start making stuff happen. I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, Mar- I listen, I'll take my hat off to Mario because Mario is a team player. I want I want to mm-hmm. start with that. First. I mean, look at what he did when, when Tannehill would throw a chance. And who's the first guy to be there? Mario. Yep. Because he's a team player. But then if you look at what Tannehill came in when he when he started playing, he just brought a fire to this offense that was kind of stagnant. If you look when they played the Kansas City Chiefs, when he made that two-point conversion, he ran through that safety's face. Mm-hmm. The offense was excited, but the whole defense was on on the field congratulating. So when you win, when you win over not just the offensive line, you win over your, your offensive guys, and you got the defensive guys that's going crazy on the sideline, that just shows you that you got great great leadership quality because you make everybody around you better. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, going back to uh, some of those greats, yeah. what was it like playing with – Steve McNair, Eddie George, Derek Mason, Kevin Dyson, and then, of course, you mentioned some guys on the defensive side of the ball with Samari Roll, Javon Curse. I know, uh, you know, 2000 draft ended up getting Keith Bullock, who, you know, he's, you know, one of my favorite players of all time. Just what was it like playing with those guys, especially, like I said, Steve and Eddie? You know, playing with Steve, me and Steve got drafted the same draft class. So, you know, I don't really know about Steve when he first came in. I know he went to Alcorn State and did, and, and, and did some great things. But to be on the same field as a Derek Mason, uh, Eddie George, a Bruce Matthews, a Brad Hopkins, um, a Lorenzo Neal, I mean, it was an honor to play with those guys. It's kind of like you taking uh, – you having a puzzle, you take it out the box, and you throw it on the table. You have all these pieces, but once they connect, they create a good picture. And that's exactly what that 99 team was, is we had a whole bunch of pieces, but we connected and we, we, we put together a big a great picture by coming together as a family. I'm telling you, man, it was an honor playing with those guys. I watched how Javon worked. Javon was probably one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around. Uh, Eddie George, I've been around some guys that worked hard, but a guy like Eddie George, man, mm-hmm. unbelievable. And then you have Steve Nair, probably one of the toughest guys you ever meet. 
You have Bruce Matthews, who probably the worst athlete you've ever seen, but his technique is unbelievable. And he has he has a heart to win. You have Brad Hopkins, you have Kevin Long, you have guys that 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 want to win, but also they want to be a part of the family and also create an identity to go and be some teams. It was a flat out honor to play with those guys. Oh yeah. I mean, I you know, I was still um very young whenever you know all y'all were playing together and you know got to enjoy more of let's say I would have been six or seven when y'all went to that Super Bowl so um you know just seeing you know that was the teams I grew up on and then you know of course my brother he's got to see uh some flashes of some good Titans teams and but you know that was one of my main things I was wanting to ask you was just that whole group of guys, you know, that I grew up watching, what it was like playing with them because, you know, I know what I was sitting there thinking every Sunday, you know, when I was watching y'all. Yeah. And you know, you know, the great part about that whole team was, is, you know, Bruce Matthews was in the league for a long time. Mm-hmm. Brad Hopkins was in the league for a long time. Bud Adams started the AFL and then started help, help with the NFL but he's never had a chance to hold up the AFC, the AFC South trophy or the AFC championship trophy. Mm-hmm. And to see Bruce Matthews hold up that trophy and to see Bud Adams hold up that trophy, it was all worth it. To go through the pain, the struggle, the disappointments, the crying, the, the days where you're like, man, I'm tired of doing this. Going to Memphis to get booed, coming to Vanderbilt getting booed. And also we get in our stadium, we go to the, go to the, uh, the Super Bowl. It was well worth it because you did it with guys that you love. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, now, yeah. going back to that, is there a favorite memory that you have from your time with the Titans or even, you know, going back to the Oilers uh, franchise, you know, do you have a favorite memory from that time? Yeah, I do. We were playing, I think we were playing on Thanksgiving and uh, we were all in the huddle and on the play before, um, Steven there broke his finger. His finger was turned that way. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the huddle's like, man, you need to go get out. He's like, no, I'm good. And as he's walking up to the, he's calling the play. And as he walks up to the huddle, he's like barking out the calls when you see him pop it back in. And then he runs for a 46-yard touchdown. That's the kind of guy you're dealing with. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I knew he was tough. And, you know, seeing some of the shots that he took and he just got up and kept going. Mm-hmm. But that is – that's definitely a good story there. Uh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the teams that you were on, you know, for a while there, it was seven and nine, eight and eight, you know, right there around in that range, but none of the, none of your years in the league, you know, was y'all's record worse than seven and nine. Um, what are some of those, and I'm sure it's going to come back to that whole having each other's back and, you know, being a family. You know, but what's some more of the success uh, or keys to success for NFL teams to, you know, build on that and have seasons like that where, you know, they're right there close to 500 or above 500 for a long stretch of time? You know, you, you just have to stay the course. And uh, the reason why I say that is Jeff Fisher used to say that all the time. I mean, we used to go to Pittsburgh and get blasted. I mean, we lose by one point and miss a field goal or miss a pass. But every time Jeff Fish was Jeff, Jeff Fish would always say, "Stay the course." And when you talk about coming together as a family, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through tribulations, you're going to get mad at your brother, but 
but you got to stay the course. And that's exactly what we did in 1995. I mean, we were, we were a good team, but we were still figuring out how to win. Jeff Fisher would say, stay the course. 1996, we were like five and two, then all of a sudden we lost like six or seven in a row. Jeff Fisher said, stay the course. We get in 1997, 98, we go to, we go to Memphis and we get booed. Jeff Fisher said, stay the course. We get in 1998, same thing, stay the course. In 1999, we're, we're playing our first game against Cincinnati and we're losing. He said, stay the course. We get, we get, we get uh, later on in that, that same year, our quarterback, our, our quarterback gets hurt, uh, Steve McNair. O'Donnell comes in and plays four games, stay the course. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, we, we play in the music, we, we play uh, the Buffalo Bills in the, uh, in the playoff games. We're down, we're down by three points or down by two points. And there's 16 seconds left on the clock. Jeff Fisher calls us up, stay the course. That's, that's what we did is we stayed the course in spite of adversity because we knew at the end there was something special waiting for us. Right. Yeah, and with the uh, Music City Miracle, you know, because like I said, we've talked to some other people who, you know, they got to watch it on their TV, things like that. But you're the first person that we're getting to talk to that was actually there. Um, now, were you on the field for that or were you on the sidelines at the time? I was on the sidelines. I was you were on, on the sidelines. Side- and I'm like, yeah, I was on the sidelines. Like, man, I guess our season's over. But that's just how our whole season was, is we had a team that wouldn't quit. I mean, the funny part about it is, Kevin Dyson wasn't even supposed to be in the game. It was Derek Mason. But Derek Mason got a concussion with the series before. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had Alan Laurie come up and tell guys what to do, and and, and, they, and they just did it. They believed. And, and when, he, when he told us what they were doing, nobody complained and said, man, how is this going to work? Everybody just did their job. Now, here's the crazy part about the whole thing is, is you have Lorenzo there who catches the ball in practice. He couldn't catch a cold. It's like he was catching with two elbows. And then you have Frank Wycheck who has the worst arm in America that, that throws the ball to Kevin Dyson. And you have Kevin Dyson that, that wasn't even supposed to be in the game. Right. But the good thing about it is, is when everybody was on the field, everybody just did their job. And if everybody just does their job, you're guaranteed to do some great things. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I can only imagine, you know, sitting there thinking that the game's over, you know, don't really know if this is going to work or not, and then – seeing Dyson running up the sideline there and actually scoring. Like, I can only imagine the excitement actually being there on the sidelines or on the field. Yeah, the crazy part about that is is um, I'm driving on the highway and everybody is blowing their horns the whole way home. And I'm driving all the way to Brentwood. And everybody, everybody's just going crazy. And then I get home and there's like like 75 to 100 people in my, in my cul-de-sac crying. Crying, not, not, I mean, yeah, we were selling, but they were crying because they couldn't believe what happened. That's why it's called the Music City Miracle is because it was a miracle that we came back and they were crying and they were excited. It was just an unbelievable sight. Well, Chris, man, I've been, uh, I've enjoyed having you on. I just want to thank you again for coming on, you know, giving us your time. I I wish Tanner could have been on here with us. Um, You know, Maybe we can get you on again here in the future and he can be on with us because I'm sure he can probably come up with some more questions that he would like to know. But, yeah, just thank you again for coming on, man. You are very welcome, my friend. You have a good one. You too.